pray together. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open up your word to us today as we start our service today, Lord. Open our eyes that we might see you being revealed in your word to us in such a way, Lord, that we can't help but respond to you. And Lord, we need your spirit to make all this happen. Uh, we are desperately in need of help. Whenever we look into your word, it's, it's easy to just read it as a historical document or just as uh, just words on a page. But Lord, we pray that you, by your spirit, would apply them to our hearts this day and draw our hearts to you and to Christ. Uh, who is revealed in these wonderful pages, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm using Psalm 119 uh, for the last several sermons, and that's where we're going to be today. So if you find your Bible and you make your way to Psalm 119, uh, page 746 in your pew Bible, I want to begin with a, a statement and see what's your reaction to this statement made by the psalmist. In verse 97 of Psalm 119, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then in verse 127, the psalmist said, I love your commandments above his love for gold, even above his love for fine gold, which would mean gold that has been refined, is not, doesn't have a lot of impurities in it. It is the most valuable of all the metals of that time. And you ask yourself, when you read statements like that, that the psalmist wrote about the, the scriptures, do you ask yourself, what is it about me? Why don't I have a love for the word of God like the psalmist did? Do you ever ask yourself, why is it that when I read the Bible, I do my best to engage my mind with what I'm trying to read, that oftentimes my heart seems so unmoved by what I have just read? Well, I can't answer all of those reasons why, but I'll throw out a couple of suggestions for you just in terms of what possibly could be some of the symptoms as to why that is the way it is. Um, first of all, I would suggest for some of us, it could be that we're treasuring known sin in our hearts. And so we're going to come to the Bible and we have an area of our life that we know for sure is displeasing to God, and yet we continue on in that area. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 is an example of that, where he says you've got to get rid of this and this and this in your life, and then you're going to hopefully have a hunger for the Word of God like a baby hungering for the milk of its mother. And so when we are grieving or quenching the Spirit of God, it's not too surprising that the Word of God doesn't seem to really connect with us very well at all. I would dare say that David, when he was involved in his, his planning and scheming and his adultery and all this kind of stuff, I would dare say when he was reading the Word, if he was reading the Word, it wasn't making a big impact on his heart at all. It could be another reason, though, as to why the Scriptures don't seem to make such an impact on us. Number two could be that we are reading our Bibles, but we fail to put in practice what we're reading. It's something that is, happens in a, in a moment, and then we move on with life, and we really don't connect the one and the other, and we don't really think through how that could be actually in, uh, brought into some sort of practice in our life. And so James 1 warns us against we need to be more than just hearers of the Word, but putting the Word into practice. But I would dare say it might be true of many of us that we could also say that we are somewhat distracted as readers. You ever find your mind just sort of wandering off somewhere <laughs> when you're supposed to be reading? 
Uh, I know I used to have that problem a lot. Uh, I remember one time I was taking a GRE exam. Uh, when you get ready to leave college and you're going to go to graduate school, you take this very difficult exam. I remember reading some paragraph. You know, I always read the paragraph first, then they give you the questions, the options as to what. Uh, no, sorry, I, was, I looked at the question to say, okay, now this paragraph basically is saying, and then it gives you like five options. I read that question first, then I read the paragraph. And then I thought, I'm in trouble because I don't see that for any of these. You know, that, that, you know when you're way over your head. And I can remember taking this test, and you have so many minutes to do it, and you pay all these bucks to take it, and you think your whole future is lying on the, you know, like if I, don't fail, if I fail this test, I'm not going to be able to move forward. And I remember the guy behind me, his nose is running. And he's, he's doing, you know, every two minutes, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I think I'm going to go crazy. It's like I'm so distracted from what I'm supposed to be concentrating on. Well, some of us, when we're reading the Word, I think we're distracted so easily by what I call everywhere you go entertainment. That there is within our palm of our hand or very close by to us, there is a, a pad or there's something that has entertainment, something that's begging our attention to come and look at it and gaze at it and get, get mesmerized by something that's happening, whether it's constant messages that are coming to us or whether it's something that's a video we want to watch or whatever. And for some of us, let's be honest, some of that entertainment is X-rated. It's no wonder that we're distracted when we're trying to read the Word because we're filling our minds with things that clearly are going to divide our hearts. Others of us, I think, are distracted because we have the in, inward noise of worry. The inward noise of, of fear and, and anxiety and guilt, which oftentimes, I think, leads us to be, be very... Um, it's difficult for us to give our full attention to the Word of God when all these other things are dividing us away from God's truth. So my goal this morning is really not to deal with all of those issues, although I would suggest if that's where you are, just to think through some of the, your reaction to that so that we might gain insight from the Word of God. Some repentance for many of us might be required and sort of a change of patterns. But I want to look at a practical way of trying to help us not theoretical, I want to look at this very, on a very practical level of increasing the impact of God's Word to us, as I'm hoping and praying that we are taking it a little bit more seriously, as I've tried to encourage us the last couple of Sundays to be in the Word on a regular basis and studying it on our own. And here's my simple, essential element I'd like to suggest. Pray. You say, oh, come on, you got to get more than that. I mean, Pray? Yes, let's, let's make prayer one of those parts of the puzzle that we put together here so that when we read the Word, even before you read the Word, look at Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Now, if you make that your prayer and you say, Lord, show me from your word things that are truly wonderful because you have revealed them to me and help me to see you in this text because you are wonderful. That might be a really, really good, helpful start in terms of your interacting with the word of God. It's not just like reading news online. It's not like reading the newspaper. It's not like reading anything else. It is God's letter to you, revealing himself to you. And then I would say after you've devoted your some time to thoughtful reflection on what the text means, which means you have to be awake and alert, by the way, when you're reading the Bible, 
you can't be in some sort of dazed half, you know, with your eyes sort of up in your head and you're sort of half asleep, half, half awake. That's not going to help you in terms of you've got to read the scriptures, engage your mind, make observations, circle things, notice where the action is, who's taking the action, which verb and all those kind of things. I don't have time to go into all that. But make your careful observations. And then I would encourage you to close your Bible after noticing some of those things, a brief time of reading. Go back through. Sorry, don't close your Bible. Uh, I meant to put your pen down or whatever you've been doing to write notes. And then go back through and then pray through the text. Make the scripture something that you pray about or pray over or pray that this would be true for you. So that our contemplation of the truths that we read is really meant to lead us into communion with the one who wrote it to us. And if you do this, if you study the Word of God, it will move beyond just having a merely intellectual kind of exercise, but it becomes then a spiritual encounter with God. And that's why I had uh, Pat read for us Daniel chapter 9. I'm not going to reread it for you, but I think that's a good example of Daniel as someone who has been what? Reading the Word. He was reading the written uh, prophet Jeremiah's reflections on what God had told him. And so in reading some of his writings, which I find fascinating because he's a contemporary of Daniel, he finds that what? There's a 70-year period of time that this period of time of being in this uh, captivity is going to take place. So he begins to say, okay, Lord, if it's 70 years, we're coming up on the end of that. I'm going to be praying to you in light of what I'm reading in the scriptures. And so Daniel, because he's a man who did read the word regularly, he turns to a time of prayer over the truths that he has just read. And so here's one of the key points I'm trying to make in my sermon today. You might want to write this down. It's like a key sentence to summarize. Contemplation of God's truth is to lead to communion with God. Contemplation of God's truth, is the scriptures, is to lead us to communion with God. And that's why I'm encouraging us now to make Scripture a jumping point, having first prayed and then we read the Scriptures and then we're praying over the Scriptures and then we pray to God. It leads us to God in a very wonderful way. Now I'm going to look at Psalm 119 and I'm going to skip a couple of stanzas here and I'm going to make my way to, to verse 145. So if you've got 145 of Psalm 119 in front of you, I'd like to read uh, together or read that verse, those verses together of that stanza, 145 to 152. The psalmist said, I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Now I'm just going to try to point out a couple of principles from this one particular 
uh, stanza of 119, Psalm 119, and I'm trying to understand again, how in reading the Word does that help us in gaining greater communion with God and leading us to enhance our prayer life? So that not only are we a people who are reading the Word and filling our minds and hearts with Scripture, but we are now people who are seeking God in prayer. So let's consider several principles here. First of all, I would suggest to you, if we're to what kind of communion God wants us to have with Him, it would be a passionate communion. Passionate communion. Looking at verses like, for example, 145, I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. When you read this portion of Scripture, you get the sense that the psalmist was not just writing with his head, he had his heart engaged in what he was writing, in his crying out to God in his own prayer. He doesn't read the Scriptures in a half-hearted way. But his study of the Word of God led him to passionately seek God's help. Is that where you find yourself often? That you cry to God for help. Look at verse 146. I cried to you, save me. He doesn't just say, I spoke a, a little quiet prayer. No, I cried to the Lord. And the more that he read the Scriptures, the more he understood his desperate need of God. And the more he understood of the unfathomable riches and greatness of his God and of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's grace, of the wonders of the gospel. The more he reads the word, the more he appreciates God all the more, which makes him appreciate what God has done for him and the privileges of being a child of God. Indeed, if we stay in the word, hopefully over a period of time, if our heart is engaged and the spirit is helping us to realize that this is a revelation of God, we're going to see the greatness of God's character. And the more you begin to see that, the more you begin to see how you do not measure up. It becomes very clear. We begin to see our lack of faith. We begin to see our enslaving fears. We begin to see that we as people are, are exposed as having a heart that oftentimes doesn't love God. We love our idols much more than we love God. All the more the reason why the promises of the grace that we find in the gospel help us to realize how desperately we need God, how desperately we need to, to relate to Him on the basis of grace because of Christ. And yet, what simple prayers the psalmist is praying. Save me, O Lord. It reminds me of Peter. Gets out of the boat, right? The waves are starting to stir, and he's walking on the water, and next thing you know, he starts to find himself sinking. Now, does he say, now, Lord, I want to open my heart to you and contemplate the greatness of who you are? And Does he come up with this long, extended, complicated prayer? No. He says, Lord, save me. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. I came across this quote by... Bobby Richardson. Now, I know that's a name that goes way back for some of you. Uh, so the younger generation, you're not going to know this guy, but uh, he's still alive. He, he is a very committed believer of Jesus Christ and was a former second baseman for the New York Yankees and uh, really had some outstanding performances during some of the World Series in the early 60s. And um, during the years that he was active as an athlete in action, and so he was involved in this ministry, encouraging other uh, guys and athletes, and he, he closed one of his talks in this context with this very simple prayer. Listen to how simple this prayer is. He prayed, he said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, 
nothing less, nothing else. Amen. That covers the ground, doesn't it? Very simple, but very open to God saying, look, Lord, that's really what I want. That's what I need to pursue. Now notice that the psalmist, in his passion for God, led him to prioritize what he was doing with his time. You see, many of us have people telling us how to spend our time. How many of you control what time school starts? And so you choose to start school. I guess if you're a homeschooler, you, you sort of do that, right? That's, that's a nice privilege. I, I didn't think about that until just now. But if you, like me, went to public school, there's no way I ever got them to tell, tell them to move school to an hour that's a little more convenient to me uh, so I didn't have to catch the bus was still dark outside. And to your boss, how many of you have a boss that says, well, you can start work whenever you feel like it, whenever you you know, fully are awake and whenever you want to get here, you can get here whenever you want. I mean, very few of us have those privileges. We have no control over the timing of certain things in our lives. But most of us, if not all of us, control the time that you get up in the morning and the time you go to bed at night. Unless, and there's an exception, you're one of these young couples and you have small children. They can really mess up your schedules of what time you sleep and what time they're sleeping and all those kind of things, what time they're getting up. But assuming that you control that, notice what the psalmist does here in verse 147 and 148. He talks about in the early hours of the morning and the late time of night. He says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. You might want to jot down in your notes, Psalm 63, verse 6, the psalmist said, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. There's something to be said of a person who is really passionate about God and wanting to know God. He's going to be seeking God with a sense of, I'm really longing to find help from you. Because you can tell that the psalmist is not doing well. He keeps saying, verse 149, revive me. You get the sense that he's out of steam. He, he's, he's running a race. He's ready to quit. He's run out of energy and strength. And he, he's just at a point where he's really at a very low point. And I find it amazing that out of that sense of desperation, he's crying out to God in the early hours of the morning and late at night. If you take the time and look at Jesus, you'll find him as a regular course of his life. He is up early in the morning. He is sometimes out all night long in prayer. I'm not suggesting you need to do that on a regular basis, staying up all night in prayer. I couldn't do it if I tried. But there are times in which Jesus made that something that he exemplified. Why? Because he had a passion to spend time with his father. He was very busy during the day. So here's my question. When was the last time you turned off your phone, turned off your iPad or your computer, your TV, so that you could have silent time, uninterrupted time, that would allow you to listen to God's instruction by reading the Word and then to seek His help? When was the last time that you Set your alarm early enough that you began to say, I'm going to create some time here before life gets crazy and 
all these interruptions come into my life, I'm going I'm to create some time early in the morning where I can seek God. That means you'll have to go to bed earlier the night before if you're going to make that to anything profitable. Because if you stay up the same hour and stay up really late and then get up real early in the morning, guess what? You'll do what I've done many a time. You're, you're studying the scriptures like this. You're asleep. You're sitting up, but you're asleep. And so it takes the idea of planning to ahead. I wonder how many of us have set our alarms for very early hours in the morning in order to pursue something like a vacation. Make sure we get on that boat. Make sure we get on that plane. Make sure we get through traffic, through the city. We set our alarm to do something early. Why? Because we want to go on that fishing trip. We want to make sure that we have gone golfing or we get a good... Uh, go out of town, we're going to go shopping, and so we're going to make sure we get the full day, that we can have as much of that as, as, we, as we want to pursue. Again, I would just say, when's the last time you've blocked off some time to say, Lord, I just want to really spend time seeking you and listening to you and then crying out to you? And some of you say, well, I would do that, but you know, I just feel like when every time, whenever I do seek God, I feel like God is so far away from me. I feel like he doesn't really want to hear what I have to say. I feel like sometimes when I look at my life and I realize what a failure I am, what, how many areas of compromise in my life, you're so focused on yourself to begin to convince yourself that God would, wouldn't want to really hear your prayers. May I encourage you? He says in James 1.8, you can have whatever you ask for with God if you're not double-minded, if you're not divided in your thinking. So I would suggest to you, Meditate on Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 16, which is a wonderful text of Scripture. It talks about the Word of God and then talks about what? Jesus and what He's done for us as a high priest and the whole reason why you can come confidently to God because of Jesus Christ. It ought to lead you to where you say, you know, I do have a compassionate desire to help find God helping me. I need help. And the more I meditate, on Christ, the more confident I feel that God really is going to listen to me because Jesus is pulling me by the hand and says, come on in here. Come on in here and make your requests known. Spurgeon said, meditation is the fuel which sustains the flames of prayer. The more we meditate on the word, become convinced of what God has said that is true about me and the gospel, enables me to what? Keep pursuing God in prayer. And get past some of these reticent thoughts about whether we should come or not come. All right, point number two I want to encourage us to think about is not only there's a passionate communion that we find in this text, but there's also a personal communion. Personal communion. Notice that the psalmist did not pray, Lord, give assistance to those, whoever they are, who may be in need of help. He doesn't pray in this generalized way, which is appropriate at times. But notice that the prayers here, you find 146, I cry to you, save me, verse 149. Hear my voice, revive me, verses 153 and 154. Look upon my affliction and rescue me. Plead my cause and redeem me, verse 154. Revive me according to your word. And then 159, revive me according to your loving kindness. Now don't misunderstand me. There is a time and place for corporate prayer. When you gather with God's people to pray. By the way, we're doing that on Sunday mornings. It's a sweet time of prayer. 
And uh, if you're not taking advantage of this, I want to encourage you to come. You say, oh, I don't, my prayer life's terrible. Well, come and pray with other people. You'll find that it draws you into prayer in a wonderful way. And no one's ever going to embarrass you, ask you to pray out loud or put you on the spot. It's a great time to pray with other believers. So it's appropriate to play, pray with other believers. That is the pattern in Acts. I won't take time to show you how that's true. It, it is true. But it's also appropriate for every believer to spend time alone with God. And the psalmist would show that in his seeking God, he's having personal communion with God. He's talking to God about what's happening in his life, his world, his heart, his concerns. As you're reading the Word of God, I wonder, what is your mental image of God? Do you think of God as being sort of localized? You know, God is here on Sunday mornings. This is sort of where I meet with God. It's somewhere in this building. I just have something that happens to me, and this is just a, a neat place. But the rest of the week, six days a week, I don't really have much connection with God. Or you think of God as being somewhat disinterested. He's got a lot more important issues to deal with than your little tiny problems and concerns. Or God is so distracted because he's dealing with so many other crises in the world and, you know, he can't give you his full attention. Well, I would hope that as you read the Word, the Word would continually reshape and refine the way you think of God and the way in which you conceive of God in your mind that you begin to understand who is God. Well, the Word of God tells me that God is concerned about my concerns. He is a compassionate God. And therefore, it's appropriate. He says, I, I can come to God, and I'll tell him my fears, I'll tell him my needs, I'll tell him my joys and my problems. I think I have the quote in your notes there with Charles Spurgeon. He says, the heart cries are the essence of prayer. Heart cries are letting God know what really is your real concern, not holding back. And I want you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Proverbs 15, verse 8. This is just such a wonderful text. Proverbs 15, just a few pages to the right there. Next book over, page 777. Sounds like some sort of commercial. 777, in your pew Bible. Look at this wonderful passage of Scripture. Now some of us think, you know, why am I going to burden God with my little tiny problems and concerns? The, proverb, the writer of Proverbs says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. In other words, if the, if the wicked who don't have any heart of love or respect or, or uh, repentance toward God at all, they try to do something religious as if they're doing something for God, God's like, ah, want nothing to do with that. But look at this. But the prayer of the upright is God's, what? Delight. He delights in our prayers. He enjoys them. It brings him great pleasure when his people are talking to him and opening up their hearts to him and explaining their concerns and issues and struggles and problems and joys and sorrows. And therefore, it's a, it, it, it helps remind us what a privilege we have as children of God that we can come and talk to, talk to God about anything, everything, at any time. We have this confident access to God as the children of God, in prayer. That's why I like this quote from Tim Keller, who recently wrote a book on prayer, and he says, the only person who dares wake up a king at three in the morning for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access with God. Over and over, the psalmist 
gratefully celebrates the fact that God inclines his ear to his cries. Psalm 118, verse 5, From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord heard me and answered me and set me in a large place. I wonder, do you ever tell God about your day? Do you tell him about some of your temptations you're struggling with? Do you tell him about your worries? Do you speak to God as if he's someone who can, you can really just open up to and explain these things to him? Exodus 33:11, we read that Moses on Mount Sinai, we read these words, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Isn't that great? Came across this meditation in our devotional that we're reading this year, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata devotional. I commend them to you. They really have a number of helpful uh, devotional thoughts in them. And for January the 8th, she's meditating on the verse Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he raised us up with Christ and we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. And she goes on to meditate and say, when you pray, do you feel a little out of place in the divine throne room? <laughs> Perhaps you picture yourself at a distance from God. You're a little timid. You're a little shy. You, you feel like you're imploring the Lord to do something. And so she says, God wants you to understand that your glorious position is in prayer is that when you come before God to praise and to intercede, it is your pleasure and privilege to join with Christ where he is seated at God's right hand. In that sacred spot, even a beggar becomes a child of the king. It's being reminded ourselves of the privileges and blessings of the gospel mean that we should have confidence to talk personally to the Lord, to talk honestly with him, to meditate on the scriptures enough that you become so aware of God's promise that you take them to heart. Look at verse 151 in the, this particular stanza we're looking at. As you review the promises of God, you realize that God is with you always. He's with you always. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, whatever, wherever you've been, God is with us. He can be relied upon to help you in any and every intimidating or daunting situation couple of verses you might want to write down for your notes. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Psalm 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. I'll say more about that, but I'm going to move on to my final point here. Um, we see a passionate and a personal communion with God. And then thirdly, I just want us to think of a principled communion with God. And that's just a strange word, principled. It means that we're communing with God and relating to him in a way that is in harmony with how he has described himself to us. For example, God is relying, the psalmist is relying on God to do what he's promised. You see it in here a number of times. Look at verse 149. He makes a request for God to help him based on what? According to your loving kindness, according to your ordinances. 
154, according to your word. 156, do this, Lord, according to your ordinances. 159, according to your loving kindness. What you're seeing here is that the psalmist is counting on God to respond according to the truth that he's learned on the things he's been studying in the Word. The more he learns about God, he says, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your Word. I'm asking you to do this because this is what you said you'd do and who you are. He's basically praying God's promises back to him. One of the best ways we can improve our communion with God is to saturate our minds and our prayers with the Word of God. So that when you're meditating on the Word, the Word then becomes something you're confidently able to say, well, Lord, I know this is your will. So look at some of the prayers you find in Scripture. Pray those right back to God. And you can pray very confidently knowing that's His will. When we pray the words of Scripture, we're praying in accordance with the will of God. And our knowledge of someone else influences how we speak of them. For example, if you had a boss that you're working for, or let's say it's your manager at work, and your manager promised you, listen, you're going to get a bonus. And the bonus that we're offering to you is $1,000 that we're going to pay you if you can complete this project that we've assigned you. And therefore, if you do it before the deadline, you get the bonus. Now, if the, if the manager has said that to you at a particular time of the year, let's say he said it last fall and you finished the project early, would you have any problem coming back to that manager saying, hey, listen, boss, I, I did complete the project, so uh, how about that, how about that uh, bonus? No problem, right? He said he would. But if the manager never promised you a bonus, how confident would you be to come up and say, hey, listen, may I have $1,000? Because, you know, I've done my job so quickly here. You see, if we believe, if we who believers are meditating on the word and we take God at his word of what he's promised, we can be confident knowing that what? I'm praying based on his promise. Now we have to be careful in how we take those promises. We need to make sure we understand the context, understand what he's really saying. But my point is we pray in a principled way that we are praying based on what God has promised to us. I'm wondering if some of us are saying, you know, I got so many problems. I got so many stresses. I got so many issues in my life right now. It's hard for me to pray. My friend, don't you understand that's all the more reason why you should be praying? That our problems are not to drive us away from God. They draw us, hopefully, into a deeper communion with God. The psalmist had problems, serious problems. He's crying out to God. And you say, well, I got a long way to go. Well, guess what? We all do. But we have to start somewhere. And so in my heart and prayer is that we, as we continue to read the Word, remember God doesn't waste trials. He doesn't waste difficulties. They are the take-home assignments that are designed to what? To teach us how much we need Him. And the more we need Him, the more we try to meet with Him in the Scriptures and then open our hearts to Him and learn to know Him, deepen our relationship with Him and seek Him with all our heart. Let's pray. Our Father, it is one thing to talk about all these things, to talk about prayer, talk about reading the Word, encountering You in the Word. It certainly is something else, Lord, when we actually experience it and do it. 
And so, Lord, we, I mean, it's my prayer today that we would not be like those in James 1 that say we are hearers of the word, but we don't do what it says. My prayer, Lord, is that you would so draw our hearts into this amazing privilege of taking advantage of being seated with you, with Christ, in the heavenly realms, that we would be able to come into the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in time of need, that we could, as we're ushered in there by Christ, but Lord, we would take advantage of these privileges and open our hearts to you in prayer and get to know you and share with you all of the different things that we think about and struggle with and long for and regret and fear. Lord, help us, we pray, to not give up in our relationship with you and to think that we've somehow plateaued. I pray, Lord, you would deepen us in our times of reading the word, that we would truly know you, open our hearts to you, seek you, and that we might find you, Lord, and you might draw us into deeper faith and communion with Christ and celebrate the wonders of what you've done and who you are. For the glory of your great name, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Our final song.